a young little girl, probably Japanese, would have been sitting there and thinking to herself, I would like to have a tea party. She goes and gathers some of the small little you know, cups and saucers and things like that and sees her parents' favorite teapot, the one given to them at their wedding. And as she grabs it, she takes it, she puts some water in it, pretending to play with it until she hears her father come home and he begins to step around the corner where she panics, drops the pot, shatters on the floor as dad comes around the corner. Her eyes wide, staring up at dad about what she's just done. And of course, yes, her father punishes her and tells her what's going on. And as he cleans up the mess and sweeps it into the dustbin, he doesn't throw it away. No, this is a special thing to him, and he teaches his daughter that just because it's broken doesn't mean it's wasted. And so she starts to clean it up with him, and he puts it in a bag and takes it down into town to a special potter who takes the pieces and learns how to put it back together, and instead of just fusing it together, takes gold or silver and infuses it into the cracks. And now the very brokenness of the pot infused with the gold becomes a precious work of art on top of being something useful again, on top of being more valuable than ever with the story still intact. The Japanese call this art kintsugi and what's beautiful about it is a perfect image of my life and your life when it comes to the hands of God. We may have gone through these moments in these, uh, of life where things are broken. You've been examining that and thinking about that over the last couple of days or week as we've looked at the wreckage that's found in the ruin. But as we dive into this moment, I want to remind you that's why we're not going to look at the moments. We're not going to look at one movement. We are going to examine all four movements, become a four-movement family. Again, as we've been saying in this series, we want to evaluate the moments by focusing on the movements. And that means the four movements, this creation, the ruin, and the redemption, and ultimately the becoming. And as we are looking at this ruin, as we are looking at this mess that we looked at last week, we finally get to move on to redemption, where God takes the broken pieces, takes the mess of what He intended, brings them together to something greater. That's what we're going to be diving into, and I know no better place to describe this than Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you've got your app, begin by opening it with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 throughout this sermon, and I really want to engage you with this thought that God is bringing together that which was broken, bringing together that which was marred into this beauty. Now, Ephesians, as you're opening there, is a book written by a man named Paul. He was once named Saul, and he abused the church and hated the church. And when he met the risen Christ on the road, literally, Jesus converted him on the spot after his resurrection. Paul switched sides, became a great evangelist. One of the churches he planted was in a town called Ephesus. And as he's here, this place was highly spiritual, filled with magical amulets, magical thinking, lots of gods and powers and fates. And in this text, he wants to remind them of how they've been broken free, set free in redemption to a greater purpose and direction. And that's where we're going to pick up, because his whole point at the, in this section is that in redemption, in what Christ has done for us, in this movement, we are set free. Take a look at this as we jump in, because we have got to be set free. He says this, you were dead in your trespasses and 
sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We'll pause right there for a minute. That's a mouthful. But I want to start with that word dead. Dead people don't react. They can't change. They're stuck in their death. And that's his point here. In our spiritual condition of the wreckage and the ruin, the default position is that we were dead. We were stuck. We couldn't change the fact that we were going to sin. and We can't change the fact that we're headed towards a consequence. You see, if we're going to be set free from something, we need to be set free from this sin that we're dead in, that we're stuck in, we can't change with. And one other thing, this wrath. As he goes on, he says, we were stuck with these idols that we talked about, following their course, running it and running it and running it, never getting off this circular race course the idols were sending us on. And then we were in this wrath. We were in this danger. Because among whom we all once lived as sons of disobedience and the passions of our flesh. So we're just living according to our desires, living according to what's inside, not being conformed by God on the outside. We were running according to our passions and our desires, the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the problem. We became by default, by nature, children of wrath. That means we need to be set free from the consequence. We need to be set free from the circular running, the rat race of the demonic world. And that's exactly, miraculously, what God does unexpectedly. In fact, it doesn't stop here. He says, you were once that way, but God being rich in his mercy, though we should have the wrath, we should have the justice. Mercy says, I relent. Yes, I've punished you. Yes, you're condemned, but I give you mercy doesn't erase the justice, doesn't remove it. It means he's merciful to us, and he does it because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he says, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We like that word saved. We've been rescued. We've been taken out of what? The wrath of God, the consequence of sin, and the sin itself. And this is this critical situation. We have been removed from wrath. The fear of death is over. We have been set free because in redemption, Christ paid for the consequence of the ruin. The redemption pays for the consequence, the wrath and the ruin and all this stuff. Again, he says it in verse 8. He goes on, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. This is so critical right here. And consider what I'm saying today if you're exploring Christianity. You may have been told that Christians are all about rules and do's and don'ts, and you can't do that and you can't do this. That's not where we're at at all. We're about a right relationship with God. We're about living in, in presence of God, with God as He has made us, living according to our design and purpose. But the problem is we can't get there because of sin. We can't get there because of wrath and the brokenness, this wreckage of the ruin we've talked about. And what this says here is it's not about what we do to be right with God. It's about what has been done. You see, it's not of our own doing. It's a gift of God to you. God offers you the forgiveness of your sins. He offers you the release of punishment for those sins called wrath. And he takes it on himself on the cross. He removes that fear. He removes these things and offers you the opportunity to receive it as a gift. That's the beauty. It is offered to you 
as a gift, not something you earn, not because it's Christmas, not because it's, it's your birthday. No, he says, this is for you because I love you. It's by grace. It's a free, unmerited, undeserved offering of love from God, his son on the cross to bear your sins, your shame, your guilt, to take from you all that so that you could have life and no longer have wrath from God. Now, that's, that's the critical statement. For us as Christians, this means something. As we're working through these movements and you've been staring at that horror of the wreckage, maybe you're looking at your spouse, maybe you're looking at one of your children who's decided to stay there and walk away. They didn't trust Jesus Christ and we're like, hey, that was the default. You needed to expect that. And now you're going, man, what do I do? What do I do? How do I bring them to Jesus? I I want them to know Christ. Well, I have to remind you of something first. This is a gift of God. It's not something that you do. You cannot save your family. You cannot put the pressures of trying to save your children, save your spouse, save your parents on you. Look, it is God's gift. It is God's offering. You're you're not the one who's going to save them. And some of you are harassing and fighting and, and always bring it up, giving books and all this stuff, because you're like, this might save them and this might save them. I'm going to do everything I can to save them. Awesome. I love your heart. I believe that it's right. But remember, that's not your job. You can't save them. You can't bring them. You can't carry that burden on yourself. So what can you do? I want to tell you, you can do three things. Number one, you can pray. Absolutely, 100%. Constantly be praying for your children. Pray for your spouse. Be praying for your family. Praying for your nieces and nephews. We should be praying for their salvation. We should be praying that God wakes them up, that He, should, when they hear the gospel, that He would break open their hearts, that they would receive this gift. Man, that's our hope. And we pray and we pray and we pray. Yeah, and occasionally we're going to preach. We're going to occasionally bring the gospel when it's appropriate, when it's right and they're ready to hear it. We'll we'll give them advice. We'll give them the opportunity with our grandkids and and tell them why we think they need to hear us. And they may go, ah, Grandpa, you're so old-fashioned and cute. And it's like, no, you have those opportunities to share and do that. I'm not saying don't, but don't put the burden that they they didn't hear you. You did something wrong. I must not have shared it right. That's not your burden. You pray. You simply preach, share, and then point. This pointing is the idea of you living the life that they honestly would love to live. Too often as Christians, we end up not living a life that is full and robust, that is deep. We live a shallow life like the rest of the world, living in entertainments, dissipating our time, trying to find out how to be fun and, and all these things. And I get it. Seeking success. Instead of living a life full in the presence of God, understanding what he's called us to be and to do and doing it. And when we live in a grand purpose, when we live in these ways that God's called us to, you will begin to see that that calls our families to a deeper world. And I would suggest as you pray, and yes, as you share at appropriate moments, you should live to its fullest. Invite them to come along with you. Invite them to the deeper journey in Jesus Christ that they won't find in the world. So that these things that have captured them, these things that they're already defaulted to, would look small and pale and thin in comparison to the robust, beautiful world of God's redemption. You see, they're running a race course. 
we get to run in freedom. Race courses are in loops. We get to run in a direction. You and I have been set free. And see, redemption in this movement, it sets you free to return to God's image, to return to the value and holding it and knowing it, to return to representing God, to return to being like Christ. This is awesome because what did he say? He said he made you alive. Again, God, being rich in his mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. That's what it says. While we were dead, unable to move, he woke us, made us alive. Now we have an opportunity. We have freedom. Now, no, I use the word freedom. You've been set free to this, but freedom is different in the Bible than in our modern age. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose we have a piano sitting on a stage or in this room. And we're all anticipating some beautiful music. Our culture would say the freest person is the one who goes up to that piano and is unencumbered and unrestrained by any of the rules of music, by any of the ideas that are out there in the world. Now, you get to do whatever you want on the piano, right? And so suddenly up comes a monkey. And the monkey just starts smacking the piano keys and crashing things and like opens it up. And people rise up, oh, that was amazing. That's not freedom. That, that monkey smashing on the piano, a rat running across randomly, is not what we are talking about when we talk about freedom. But that's what our culture thinks. Our culture thinks if you are unhindered and you're just able to run around and do whatever you want, man, you're free. That's like a monkey smashing on a piano. No, the freest person is when the concert pianist walks up. He looks at that keyboard that he has played and studied and practiced and worked at all 10,000 plus hours to become an expert, and he plays beautiful music that we stare at going, how did he do that? That is a person who's truly free on the keyboard. I'm not. I'm bound. I'm bound to my inabilities. I'm bound to my unables. I'm dead to the keyboard, right? You're, maybe some of us are less dead to the keyboard than others, but the point is simply this, that our God has made you alive in Christ. That means you have a choice. You are free from what really holds you back, according to the Bible, which is sin and transgression. It is sin that binds us and our inability to escape it. But when you are alive, you have a choice. You are free no longer to sin. You are free no longer to give yourself over to the flesh, to give yourself over to these things. You get to truly live in freedom. And we want to practice that daily. Jesus said it this way. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You're like, that sounds horrible. But this is the idea. Taking up your cross is admitting the fall, that you're dead in sin. Now we're going to follow him. We're going to deny the sin. We're going to deny the default. We're going to deny the ruin. We're going to say, I'm not there to live anymore. I'm going to really live. I'm going to die to my old feelings, desires, and sinful ways because I want to live. I want to be free. I don't want to be held back in these chains. And we do this in a daily, everyday kind of thing. In fact, we want to do this kind of denial daily where we're saying, hey, I want to daily follow you. I want to daily follow you. Maybe this looks like in your family an opportunity just to stop and daily receive that grace. Daily remind yourself that, God, I have been given freedom to live for you. 
telling your family, hey guys, how has God opened us to live for him today? Let's talk about the grace that we've received. This is a fascinating thing that's changed for our family. When my children were young, we got stuck in the movement of sin. We did. We got stuck in the wreckage of the ruin. In fact, when my daughter was little um, and she would be doing things, we'd go in, we'd talk about her naughty part. You know, you, you got your naughtiness in you and you got to, that's not good for you. And I, we really believe that what we did is we over-focused on the fall, trying to point to salvation that today she really is thinking, man, I still got this mess in me. We're like, no, no, grace, grace. It wasn't until we went to a marriage conference and we ran into something called grace-based parenting that it blew us away. We realized we were fixated on all the ruin and the fall and not on the redemption that Christ brings us, the freedom that we have, the opportunity to live in God, the opportunity to live for Him and walk in His grace. And so by overemphasizing that sin in our family, overemphasizing that ruin, we missed out on all the good that God was wanting to do. And now we've changed our conversation. We talk about the grace God has given us. We talk about the direction God is leading us. We talk about what He is calling us into. And that is the point of this daily look at grace. What's God been doing in your life? What's He up to? What'd you learn in the Word? What is He calling you to practice? It's because God allows us to grow into His image, right? You're set free to become His image again. This means this is a daily practice. And again, I want to reiterate something. This is not legalism. Some of people have accused me of saying, Greg's a legalist. He tries to tell us to do all these things. And, that's not what I'm saying at all. Actually, I don't believe in, in rules it can do anything to really change the heart. You have to be born again. You have to be transformed by the grace of God. And then everything within us is going to come out in a different way. But I do want to live in freedom. I do want to walk now that I've been made alive, not in sin, but in knowing God and loving God and living for God and sharing God. I want to, I want to enjoy this. It's what we've been told in Romans. Paul, again, writing to another church that he's going to go see, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our wrath is gone, right? So what's the response? He says, well, first of all, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. Here's that freedom in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, right? So we were supposed to die and we had to sin, but now we're free from that. We don't have to live there anymore. For God has done what the law, weakened in the flesh, could not do. Note that. if you've, this, We've destroyed what the law can do. No laws can shape our hearts. No rules can change us. We said that last week. You can't control the sin. We're not talking about legalism here. We're talking about living in freedom. Removed from, Christ, from, removed from sin, walking in Christ. We have this opportunity that though we were weakened by the flesh, the law can't do it, but Jesus did it. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin. We're not condemned, but sin is condemned in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, which is death. It's done, and now that's been filled. It's been paid for. We can now walk, not according to the flesh, According to the Spirit. This word walk would be a better term in our world as practice. Doctors practice medicine, right? We always laugh at that. We're like, oh, I wish the doctor would do some medicine, stop practicing all the time. Actually, practice is all one can really do. Um, even football players who are professionals practice. 
for the game. We, and many of them view the game not as where the actual professionalism comes out, it's just the output of their practice. Well, I hope a doctor's practicing his medicine, constantly keeping up on his literature, constantly ensuring that his hands are doing what is right, constantly learning and growing and how they can better improve health. That's why they practice medicine. Don't just do it. That would assume that you come to the end of your knowledge. In the same way, we've been set free to practice walking in the Spirit, to practice this, uh, this spiritual living of following Jesus, to practice loving, practice living, practice sharing. You're never going to come to the end of that. It is something that as you practice, it becomes a part of you. As that NFL player, as that doctor practices, they come to those moments where they need to act it out and whammo, it's a part of them. They're able to do it. In the same way, when we walk and put it into our regular routine, we're living according to that spirit. We're practicing the practices of the faith. I'm loving Christ by being in the Word of God. I'm loving Christ by being in prayer. I'm memorizing Scripture. I'm loving Christ by living for Him and being serving in the church. And you know what? Hey, I'm, I'm over here and I'm loving my neighbor and I'm sharing God, the gospel locally and I'm helping out globally. When these things happen, I'm just practicing it. And eventually what happens, one day I look back and I've gone a lot further than if I just stood there thinking I was doing it. I want you to walk and practice your freedom because the law will crush you. The law doesn't able, enable you to grow. The law condemns you. The law stops you. When you fail, when you trip, when you mess up and you sin, the law says you're done. But in Christ, there's no condemnation. You mess up, you sin, you return to the cross, you return to Christ, you reset your mind. And that's what Paul says is next. For those who live according to the flesh, those who are practicing the things of the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You want to have life and peace in your home, set your family's mind on the things of the Spirit. The Word of God, prayer, giving, service, loving your neighbors, you, you, right? I mean, these are the things that we set our minds on. Bring your children to church. Don't take the day off because, hey, we got sports or stuff like that. Help them not just become great sports. Sports heroes, but spiritual heroes. How are we helping them practice? Because you're the ones that are going to lead them. When you have a, a spouse who's come to Christ, you don't hold them, you, you encourage them. When you come in small groups, you encourage one another to practice and build. This is this beautiful opportunity to help us continue to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And one of those practices, these are daily, but I want to take it even smaller. How about we practice it in the moment? See, what God's trying to do is He's making us holy. You say, oh, there's that word holy. Don't like that word holy. The holy rollers. Hold on. Holiness has been wrongly defined for many years as the idea of you not doing things. Well, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do, right? That's that whole holiness stuff. Now, time out. You are not more holy because you don't do something. You are holy when you do act. You are holy when you walk in what the Spirit has for you to do. That's called sanctification. Otherwise, God, who is the most holy being, wouldn't do anything, right? Because He's holy. No, no. God is so holy that what He does is good and right and according to His will. When we do what God calls us to do, when we live in His purpose, you will be holy. And so I ask you, stop evaluating your whole, the whole life. In this case, here's what I want you to do with holiness. Let God handle the ultimate holiness. You've been made holy. We saw that. But now what you get to be is in the moment, 
be holy. Practice it in the moment. Evaluate your life in the whole by the four movements, but realize as you live in the moment, you have a chance to be holy right now. Right now, you have a chance to pray for someone. That's a holy moment. That's taking a step as you walk. Right now, you have the chance to read some scripture. Right now, you have the chance to ponder what God's calling you to do with this message in your family. You, you got a chance to practice it tonight at dinner. What an awesome opportunity just for a holy moment. You have a chance to call your loved one and make that moment. You have a chance to stop and connect with God in a holy moment. Just a moment. Just a moment. It's a daily moment. You add up those moments and you'll have a lifetime of moments. Now, don't evaluate those moments alone. They come in a whole package. But what you get is an opportunity then in these small moments to see God has not only set you free to be like His image, He's restored our purposes. See, in, in the ruin, it looked like the purpose is messed up. All the good attributes are twisted and broken. All the purposes are corrupted. We're running after idols, all this mess. But in redemption, the purpose is reversed. It's brought back and restored. And I love this. See, he says it this way. He says, we were not only made alive in Christ, we were raised up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that the coming age, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That, that's, in, that's the final answer. This is movement number four, to be quite honest. Becoming. This is what we have available. Right now, we're holy. We sit in his presence, in a sense. That's right now, but it's not fully here yet. It, it's coming to us. It's what we're becoming. And so while I want to get into the depth of this immeasurable riches he's ready to pour out on us, I'm going to pause that. Because next week, we're going to see and explore that idea. But what it does mean is that he has put us back into a situation where we represent him. We rule with him. We sit with him. We're guiding in this world. It is our job to represent God again. That's what those paradise purposes were we talked about in week one, that those intentions that God wanted. Now, he goes on to verse 10 where he says this. After he says this has been a gift to you and all this, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk on them, walk in them. Now, check this out. This means that God's restored you to do the good. He's restored you to bring about good, to do the services, to do these things, to represent them on earth, right? But even more, you're his workmanship. You are his, his kintsugi, right? You are his kintsugi. You are his craftsmanship. Though we were initially one thing, we were broken. Now he's putting us back together and we're more valuable, more beautiful. We are his workmanship, his handcrafted tool. For what? For good works that we would practice them, we would walk in them. We are his workmanship. We are what he has called us to do and he used the cross to do that. Now this is critical because God isn't ignoring the ruin in your life, ignoring the wreckage of your life. He's including it. All of this sanctification, all of this transformation includes the mess that we continue to do. It's not ignoring it, refusing us into something new. That's, that's later when it's all washed away and the fullness comes out. Right now, it's a fusion of our fallenness, a fusion of that intention in which now it comes together. To God is a wonderful planner. My family, we're not so good at planning. We had four children, and when they were little and we had to get somewhere, maybe it was church, maybe it was some event, we, it was always inevitably somebody didn't have their shoes, and we'd be in the car, and it's like, where are your shoes? I forgot them. <laughs> I'm going to just drive me crazy, right? We'd turn around, go get shoes, and 
Never, ever did we get anywhere on time because we just weren't that good at foreseeing all the problems in the plan. God is perfect at getting where He wants to go, when He wants to go. He planned all the mess in. How do I know that? Well, He did it with Jesus. Men of Israel, Peter is preaching now to, in the book of Acts, to all the people that are surrounding him after the Spirit of God has fallen upon him. And he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, so this is God's plan, and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God included the wreckage of the life of Jesus as he was destroyed by humanity. He included that in his plan. God is so good that he even included the mess of our lives in the plan. If he's going to do that for Christ, guaranteed he's doing that for you and me. God knew your wreckage. God knows your child, your spouses, your grandchildren, your parents' wreckage. And he knows that they're going through that. And he has a plan to use it if they come to him. And this is what's beautiful. He doesn't ignore the wreckage. He uses that wreckage. God uses that ruin and brings it in. And this is critical. He calls you his workmanship. He calls you this workmanship for good works because he prepared them beforehand. He had an intention for you. He knew what you would go through, and now he's going to use that together. How many of you have been able to connect with people you are like in your wreckage to bring the gospel of Jesus to? How many of you, in your struggles, in your suffering, whether it's cancers or diseases, or whether it's just parenting, have found doors open to those around you to share the gospel with because you were willing to open up your soul and your heart? God uses the wreckage of this world to bring the wrecks of the world into His presence. Don't ignore the ruin and the wreckage. What I want you to see is that original intention with that shape, with that value, oh man, with that place and that, and that time that you're in, all of that amazing vision that got dumped on was actually God's plan to bring you to this moment, to say, now place the ruin in it. How is he taking the broken pieces, pulling them together with the beauty of the cross to fuse them into a new purpose? What in your family story, what in your parents' story, what in your story is God doing? Because that gives you a new vision, a new plan. You can see how the very wreckage used by God through his intentions in your shape becomes a ministry for you, becomes an opportunity for you to bring those around you to Christ. Is it where you will fail? Did you fail at getting into the pros? Was it something that totally messed you up when you were a kid and was drugs and now you have an opportunity to talk to youth and why? You have a chance to bring other drugs, drug-addled people into the faith and give them strength. This is why CR and places like this work so well. Celebrate Recovery allows people's wreckage through the redemption of Jesus to bring them out and it becomes ministry. What is God's wreckage in your life doing to change you and to change those around you? This is the beauty of what God does. He does not ignore any peace. In fact, that's why I want to tell you your testimony has power. I know there are people out there right now, you're ashamed of the sins that you've done in your past. You've pretty much buried them. You don't want to share them with anybody. But what you're doing is you are hiding the very beauty of what God does in taking our messes 
and redeeming it. Because if you are a Christian and God has redeemed you and you're walking and practicing in Him and you're becoming like His image and you reference back to these things, it gives people hope to realize they don't have to be that way. It gives people a transformative opportunity to go, my goodness, what is God doing? This is incredible. If He can do that through you, He can do that in me. Don't hide your story. Share the testimonies to the glory of God because He's made these things for you to do. And what I love about this is this isn't bragging. Again, this isn't legalism. See, redemption turns everything into worship. When you are redeemed by a free gift of God, when you have been receiving these things, everything we do gets to show off God because it's a response of thanks. It's a response of rejoicing. I say everything that isn't sin in life is worship. It's something that we can offer to God and to do incredibly. Notice how Paul puts, he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You can do it all to show off God. You can do everything from your work, from your home life, to the food you make, to the vacation you go on, to the opportunities at church and the service that you give. All of it is worship to God, from our raising of our hands and music to the meditation of our souls. My friends, this is an incredible, incredible opportunity to dive deep into the knowledge of what God has given to us and what He is doing in our world. It's again, it's by grace you've been saved. It is, this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. This isn't about our boasting. This is about our thanksgiving. Everything is thanks. Everything is, Lord, praise you. Everything is, I get to do this. I'm free. I don't have to sin. I get to know you. I get to share with you. I get all of this. Ah, life is wide open, incredibly fulfilling, incredibly exciting. We don't have to focus on the fall. We don't have to wish back at the redemption or at the, at the original creation. We have to wish back at the creation. What we get now is a chance to actually engage in the new opportunity of a renewed purpose that includes the ruin, that is about worship, and it's not about you. And I love this because while we don't deserve any of this, He gave it to us. And today what I want to challenge you is maybe you need to receive that. For the first time, you see that God has allowed you to go through a mess in your life because He wants to use it to the greater good of other people's lives. That He hasn't ignored you. What He did is He purchased the wrath. He dealt with the sin. He's removed the guilt. He's gotten rid of the shame. He has put you in a position where you can truly go, grow and make mistakes and be living in freedom. But the first step of freedom is to receive the gift that God has given you. It is a gift. And today I want to challenge you, if you're listening to this and you have yet to receive the good gift of Jesus Christ on the cross, that you would do so right now. God's gift is available to you to remove your sin, to give you a chance to live in freedom. If that's you, I want to give you a chance to do that right now, right where you're at. Right where you are, bow your head with me and just say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. I ask that you would forgive me. I want to receive your gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. I trust that he bore my sins. I trust that he took my guilt. I trust that the wrath that's coming after I die will be removed from me now. I trust that you're setting me free through his resurrection. Now give me life, I pray, please. And now lead me into what you're calling me to do. Show me as I practice following you. Show me what you have for me. I trust you, and I receive this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
If you received that gift today, I want to encourage you to let us know. Right now, if you're watching this live online, you can let someone know right there in Facebook or on our um, little side notes. You can type in, raise that hand. We would love to hear from you. You can just let us know through texting, according to the bottom of the screen here. But also, we just want you to let someone who's in your life know that's a Christian. And that way we can get connected with you, give you information, help you begin the journey of practicing following Jesus and being free from sin. I pray that you have indeed had this opportunity for the rest of us who have already taken that opportunity. Let's begin to enjoy the freedom that God has given us. I hope you see how God's using the wreckage with the intention in your family and around you to make a difference for Him. Let's get out there and love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. Guys, we just want to make them known. Amen? All right. God bless you.